Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Dr. Michael Bummer, and I am here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Armin Feldman, and you are listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People podcast. Before we start today, I got to apologize. We are kind of backtracking on a story that we teased out there two episodes ago, and we're going to jump right in with what I think is a uh, a hilarious story of uh, of exactly the impact that we can have when observing an IME. And my, my friend and partner, Armin here, has a story where he was told to get the F out of a physician's waiting room. And, and Armin, why don't you go ahead and just tell us about that story? You know, I thought I might do, Mike, is just uh, talk for a minute or two about independent medical exams and how medical legal consultants fit in. And then I, I have some uh, kind of interesting stories to uh, talk about. So, of course, Mike, is, as you know, the service that is most requested of us after writing comprehensive medical summary reports is independent medical exam observation and writing IME rebuttal reports. Of course, all uh, of our listeners have had experience with IME docs and responding to IME reports. And uh, some of our listeners may not know that we can actually physically sit in and observe independent medical exams, which puts us in a position to write IME rebuttals. So, for example, let's say uh, that a client tears their rotator cuff at work. They go through conservative treatment and then needs a rotator cuff surgical repair. And after that, goes back to the surgeon who did the surgery with continuing symptoms. Basically, they say, you know, I'm still having pain. I still have loss of range of motion. I still can't do the things that uh, I used to do, even though they've had appropriate post-surgical treatment. So in this case, the surgeon says, well, you know, as I mentioned to you, occasionally this happens and we need to do a revision surgery. And that's what I'm recommending for you. Well, the insurance company says, well, we couldn't possibly pay for revision surgery without doing an independent medical exam. Well, I happen to observe this IME. The IME report comes back. The IME doctor says, "Mm, you know, that revision surgery, it's not indicated. Well, we as medical legal consultants, we can read about rotator cuff tears, read about rotator cuff repair surgery, and then go to the medical literature and read about the indications for rotator cuff revision surgery, and then write a report. 
uh, based on the medical records, our interview uh, with the attorney's client, our observation of the history and the physical in the IME, and our review of the medical literature. And I'm sure you've done this too, Mike, right? Yes. And Armin, how often have you found that your opinion is dramatic? Well, I hate to use the word dramatic, but it is significantly different than that of the of the physician performing the IME. Yeah, well, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how we want to view it uh, from society's viewpoint or the, the process that we're going through, I actually uh, disagree with the IME doctor about 90% of the time. I'm in the same exact boat. Yeah. So... Sometimes our attorney clients want us at the IME just to keep the IME doctor, quote, honest, right? In other words, sometimes we're asked to observe the IME as a kind of silent policeman. But most of the time, our attorney clients specifically ask us to observe the IME so we're in a position to write the rebuttal report. Uh, typically, as you know, the attorney will uh, receive the IME report, and then they call on us because they're not happy with the IME. Well, I first started observing IMEs about 15 years ago, and it surprised me how many IME doctors initially refused to do the IME with another doctor present. In fact, some were actually up in arms. Uh, I know in Colorado and probably in the country, I think I may have been the first doctor to provide this service. And um, as you know, Mike, the IME doctors were not happy initially <laughs> with uh, my presence. Of course, uh, now the uh, IME doctors know about our purpose in uh, observing IMEs at a plaintiff or a claimant attorney's request. And Almost all the, what I would call the regular IME doctors have calmed down. And uh, many of the IME doctors, in fact, their strategy now is to try to kill me with kindness. I, I've actually had IME doctors ask me if I wanted to share office space, which I uh, politely uh, you know, declined. But I, I've got to tell you, I've had some pretty funny and some crazy things that have happened in these IME observations, um, particularly when I first started to do it. So uh, some of the IME doctors, for example, would try to pretend I wasn't there. So they would offer the client uh, a bottle of water, and they they wouldn't ask me if I need would like a bottle of water. Uh, I've uh, uh, had here's a crazy one. I I had done a number of IME observations for a particular IME doctor that uh, is called on often by uh, opposing counsel and. After seeing some of my reports, this IME doctor actually hired another doctor to observe me observing the IME. I wondered if I would need to then hire another doctor to observe <laughs> the observer, this observer. So there's three, there were three physicians in the room during this IME? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my happened, goodness. Yeah, happened more than once. Uh, what about yeah. the one that we, that we talked about? on the last podcast where you were uh, you were confronted in the waiting room with explicit language. Yes. Let me just, let me just quickly tell you about a couple of okay. things and I'll go in. Sure. So um, I had one guy, one uh, IME doctor 
who insisted that I sit in the far, he had a fairly big office, and he insisted that I sit in the far, far corner of the room, which kept me from actually being able to hear what the doctor and the client were saying, and, um, and I couldn't observe the process. And I said, look, I have to move into a position where I can actually see what's going on, and if you're not comfortable with that, uh, our attorney has instructed us to leave the IME. So, uh, yeah, I've had some crazy stuff. So, uh, in answer to your question, so I uh, had done a, a number of IME observations and, and written a number of uh, IME rebuttal reports in, in which I disagreed with the opi medical opinions of the IME physician. And here we were, here I was, back in his office uh, on a, a new case. Well, in this situation, and I have to tell you to set this up properly, uh, oftentimes this IME doctor, which, it, which didn't happen all that frequently with other IME doctors, you know, but this IME doctor made a point of writing a supplemental IME report that would rebut my rebuttal. And he had this habit of throwing in, you know, nasty comments, um, disparaging comments about me, about uh, my background. I mean, it, it was uh, kind of strange the way that this guy always felt a need to rebut the rebuttal. Well, here, so here we are in the waiting room, and I, I, there had been a particularly contentious uh, situation on the last case that I was involved in, and the IME doctor says, well, um, I am going to do this IME, but he points at me and he says, but you are not allowed in the IME uh, uh, room. You can't come in. The way the wor workers' comp rules in our state work is that uh, a, cl a claimant has a right to have a, a, a physician observing the IME. So, and I have to tell you, as I mentioned, this waiting room uh, was jammed with patients waiting to see. This was a, a PM&R office. Uh, there were several doctors who were practicing there. Doctors said, Look, you cannot, you cannot come in. And I, I think I said it fairly politely, but I said, well, we've been instructed by this client's attorney that if I can't observe the IME, uh, we are going to get up and, and we will leave. And as I mentioned the last uh, time to tease this, this IME doctor shouts at the top of his lungs, I don't give an F what you think. I am doing it this way. And as I said, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's head is up. Uh, everybody's kind of, uh, the, the patients there are shocked. Some of them are maybe even trembling. And I said, well, look, you know, if, if you don't want to do it that way, we're leaving. Uh, I eventually did uh, attend that IME. And sure enough, not only uh, did I disagree, but he wrote one of these crazy rebuttals to my rebuttal. But um, 
I have to say things have calmed down uh, quite a bit uh, with most of the IME physicians uh, since I started doing this, but every once in a while, some crazy things do happen. So you, you do feel that, that your presence alone has resulted in what they believe are more fair independent yeah. medical exams? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's uh, that's my uh, IME experience that I wanted to share. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a case, right? You've got a... Um, well, not a, a case per se, but mm -hmm. a, a actually multiple cases <laughs> in over months' times, uh, probably close to a dozen over the last two years, of minimally invasive bowel injury or i mean yeah. bowel injury even in a in a even in a open large surgical case but bowel injury when when i'm asked to review uh, medical malpractice standard of care cases which is quite common mm -hmm. that i will whether you want to call it screen analyze whatever you want to call it we as medical legal consultants can can help our attorneys get into the medicine before they move on and retain uh, expensive medical experts and who are, will testify and provide affidavits. We are really an ally and can be uh, critical in helping them understand the merits of the case in the early stages before they invest all that time and energy. And one of the most common issues of areas of scrutiny for malpractice that I see in surgical fields is that of bowel injury. Right. So this would be an injury. I mean, it's not a common injury, but I would have to say it's probably not an uncommon injury. It is not an uncommon injury. And the, the rate is about one in 160, if you look at the data. Mm. And the medium time to diagnosing a bowel injury is about three days, anywhere in the spectrum from one to 10 days is, is, is obviously, uh, occurs, but average is about three days and about 41% are unrecognized at the time of surgery. So as you could imagine, uh, we all know that, that bowel injuries result in significant harm and morbidity to the patient because they come back extremely sick, often septic, and that has ongoing consequences, which is certainly why this is a contentious area of litigation and uh, significant harm for our attorneys' clients. So right. what I wanted to jump into today wasn't just to tell the, our listeners that this is an issue because they already know that, but really to get into when I'm looking at a bowel injury case, you know, it's a known inherent complication of minimally invasive surgery, and it does not automatically signify medical malpractice. There's, there, mm -hmm. there's various considerations. One of uh, the things that I always go through when, when offering these consultations is, was there intraoperative negligence? So we look at the the technique, we look at trocar insertion, we look at the energy sources used, the difficulty of the surgery, was it reasonable to have a bowel injury, asking ourselves those questions as we go through the procedure. Obviously already kind of hinted at the, the timeliness of diagnosis and one of the more common things that comes up for pursuing these cases is that a, a bowel injury wasn't diagnosed in time 
three days is common, but there's a lot of literature out there that supports, and you can imagine the scenario where someone uh, has a minimally invasive surgery completed. They are sent home often the same day because that's one of the benefits. They, a day or two later, or even that night may have some significant abdominal pain or bloating. That's a known known side effect of having a minimally invasive surgery done. So they're told to kind of brush it off. And then what happens next is often the area that gets scrutinized. Where are their complaints listened to? So you have to kind of tease that out, right? Because a lot of these things, um, like you're suggesting, are common after that kind of minimally invasive surgery. But the, uh, how do you distinguish that from the, when there's actually a bowel perforation? And just to, just to back up from that for a sec. So what we're talking about, Mike, is, of course, that puts a hole in the gut and there's bacteria in the gut and that uh, be, that gut can leak and it leaks into a part of the body that's uh, essentially sterile, right? There isn't any bacteria there. And that's what causes the problem. Exactly. And people get sick extremely quickly because our bowels have bacteria in them that can flourish in the abdominal cavity. And so the the timeliness of diagnosis like I was saying, it is just critical in the, the factors that the patients will complain of. The devil is really in those details. And that's yeah. what I'm looking at. It's what was the fever? Maybe there's a white count. What were the actual words used whenever the patient called the office 36 hours later? And should that physician have known that there was a suspected injury or not? You know, these various types of uh, blinking check engine lights that maybe were or were not ignored and uh those those really can make or break a case and when i'm pulled in it's looking at those details that are that are important and i i should also mention that another thing that comes up is informed consent and Mm. was there a lack of informed consent was the patient properly informed of a potential bowel injury depending on the the difficulty or complexity of a certain operation. And these are all various areas that can lead to successful claims for medical negligence Mm -hmm. or in fact support that the best efforts were done, standard of care was followed, and the bowel injury was merely a reasonable complication of that particular surgery. And as you know, every surgery is different. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but did you have one uh, case in mind or a particular situation in mind? That uh... Well, sure. Absolutely. So yeah. there was a case involving uh, general surgery practice and the uh, removal of a tumor. And the, the surgery was done robotically and the, uh, the bowels were, uh, the bowels were maneuvered and there was a tumor low in the pelvis. And the surgeons uh, went through an extensive operation. The surgery took about two to three hours and they had to remove the tumor uh, in a minimally invasive fashion. And again, this is all extremely cutting edge surgery and and it's highly advantageous for the patient. And the surgery, uh, towards the end of the surgery, they are removing this tumor and it was extremely difficult. And they even noted in the operative report how difficult it was to remove this tumor. 
and they removed it um, in a minimally invasive fashion and they were able to send the patient home later that day. The following day, the patient was uh, complaining of abdominal pain and had a fever and came back to the hospital. They did a CT scan and it in fact showed that there was a bowel injury and had free air in the abdominal cavity, which is how we commonly diagnose a postoperative bowel injury. Mm -hmm. Now, this all sounds potentially like a, uh, a reasonable complication on a difficult surgery of a tumor. Right. However, when we dug into the specifics of this particular removal process and how the tumor was removed, I was able to isolate that it was not standard for this tumor to be removed in this fashion and that uh -huh. I believed that it was quite obvious that the bowel injury occurred during the removal of the tumor, given its level of difficulty, and mm. that proper safety maneuvers were not taken to avoid yeah. that bowel injury. And the reason this even showed up on my desk as well is because the harm, uh, the patient, despite early diagnosis, the injury was so significant that the patient became extremely septic, spent about three weeks in the ICU, and wow. had long-term, you know, potentially even brain dysfunction, encephalopathy from the sepsis, uh, you know, muscle weakening and long-term effects of the septic uh, infection from that ultimately was caused by this bowel injury. Now, the, it wasn't so much that the bowel injury was, uh, was unexplainable. It's that just that the, the way in which it happened was in fact a, uh, a breach of standard of care in that, in that particular case. And so yeah. I advised my attorney to, uh, retain the, the subspecialist and have this looked at and, and proceed with the case. Right. So there, uh, just to say one more word about that. So there were, um, significant problems. I mean, when you're talking about cephalopathy, what you're talking about, really what happened was that there was that, uh, infection from the uh, perforated bowel got all the way to the person's brain and that caused problems. Exactly. And and that reminds me that she also had kidney damage and, uh, you know, where her, her the infection spreads to the entire body and the, the impact of that, that effect and dramatic weakening of, of the body affects multiple organ systems. Yeah. Sad case, but you were able to uh, direct your client in, in the proper direction. Exactly. And I think looking at all of these going down the list and looking almost as a checklist, as I've almost had created for myself with bowel injuries, we're able to really quickly and efficiently sort through that for our, for our attorney clients. Anything else on that one? No, no, that's it. That's all I got for today. Well, let's uh, give our listeners a quick a heads up on uh, something for our next episode. And in that episode, I'm going to talk about an interesting uh, work, uh, workers' compensation case in which uh, an administrative assistant in an office was uh, balancing some very heavy boxes on his head for some particular reasons that led to all kinds of uh, uh, issues and there was a question of causation and we'll talk about that next time thanks for listening to physicians helping attorneys helping people 
For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com.